Uh, Happy New Year. I uh, am delighted to be back with you. I uh, I missed last week, and I'm grateful to Pastor Scott for bringing the word to us. Uh, A few years ago, my parents had a crack in their wall. No big deal. Plaster right over it, paint it up. A little while later, they had a crack in their wall. Yeah, no big deal. You just plaster over it, just like we did, uh, you know, like when you lived in the dorms in college, and at the end of the year, the RA would walk through, and he'd charge you $5 for every hole. Well, that's no problem. Right before he comes through, you just get a tube of Crest toothpaste, and if you hit it just the right angle and scrape it with a credit card, you're all good. There you go. Like, for some of you, the single greatest application from this whole sermon just happened. Like, you're going to go home and find some toothpaste and fix all those holes. You know, you just plaster over it, paint it up, and they did. And a few months later, there's a crack in the wall. So what come to find out was this was not a cosmetic issue. Some of you have had that crack in your wall experience. You know where this is going. This turned out not to be a cosmetic issue, but instead it turned out to be an issue with the foundation. Instead of being a very inexpensive and quick repair, it turned out to be something that was very time-consuming and very costly. 2020, if you're like me, revealed some cracks in the wall, some cracks in the family uh, dynamics. Uh, There's only so much being in the house together, Uh, maybe a little crack in the wall, right? Maybe a literal crack in the wall. (laughs) It could be that uh, uh, it revealed some strains and some struggles. And the question we've got to get our heads around this morning is, are these cosmetic issues That's all right, it was a rough year, 2020, crack in the wall. Is this a cosmetic issue, or is this something deep? Is this a foundational issue? You know, when Jesus finished the greatest sermon ever preached, because the greatest sermon ever preached had to be the Sermon on the Mount, did it not? I mean, this is literally Jesus preaching the Word, the incarnate Word preaching the Word, the living Word preaching God's revealed Word. When he got done with the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached a sermon, uh, here's here's how he gave his invitation. He talked about this very issue. He talked about foundations. And uh, he talked about, when he gave an invitation, he talked about foundations. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 24. I want to show you. When Jesus gets done with the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, of all the ways he could have closed out, of all the ways he could have, you know, driven home that final point, of all the things he could have talked about, he talks about foundations. Look at Matthew 7. And we'll start in verse 24. Are you there? We'll also have the verses up here on the screen. You can follow along. Matthew 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. So he's covered all this. He comes to the end. And he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. Now, there's no way around this. We have to do this. We have to pause here. I know this is not the main point of Jesus' final conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. But here, Jesus can assume something that I'm not sure we can assume. Jesus can assume everyone who hears these words of mine. In other words, everything he's about to say after this assumes something. And it assumes that you are a word of God hearer. Jesus could assume that because he's literally talking to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. I I mean, like, he gets done and he's like, so every one of you who heard that message, well, he's looking at them, okay? Um, So he can assume that's all of you. I'm not so sure we can do that in 2021. I'm not sure we can just assume that everybody is a word of God hearer 
Um, and so I don't know any way, uh, I mean, the new year is a great time to talk about this. I don't know any other way to do this pastorally other than just to ask you point blank, ask you directly. Are you consistently putting yourself in a place to hear God's word or not? I mean, it's really a simple answer. Are you a person who has a consistent method of taking in God's word? Now, in terms of Sunday morning, I can answer that for you. I mean, you're here at a Sunday service. You're hearing the word of God preached. You're sitting under the word of God. Uh, uh, so if you're, if you're literally in this room right now or you're watching this online right now, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, yes, you, are, you have put yourself, you've done whatever it takes. For some of you, that's not hard. You wake up, you go to Sunday school, you come to church. For others of you, you spent your whole morning finding shoes. And you threw those little humans in the minivan, and you got them here, right? You fought, but you did it, you know? So whether it was a battle or whether it was easy, you got here. So yes, but you know that hearing God's word is more than just what happens on Sunday morning, right? A daily intake of God's word. We need that. The Bible says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So are you consistently hearing from God? Now, I know we have a lot of young people in here. Kids, let me talk to you. Something I wondered about when I was a kid. What does God's voice sound like? How do you hear God's voice? You ever heard God talk to you? You ever heard him? And you hear people, you hear preachers sometimes, I heard God say, well, what does that sound like? I mean, Abraham, I would read these stories as a kid. Abraham got to hear God speak to him. Uh, Moses got to hear God from a burning bush. Balaam got to hear God talk to the mouth of a donkey. Right? So what, like, what, you know, what does it sound like? So kids, I'm going to settle this for you. You ready? If you want to hear God's voice, if you want to hear God speak, here's what you do. Watch carefully. You ready? Are there any questions? Got it? My cars don't go home and be like, mine's broken. Okay, it's just it's a metaphor. <laughs> metaphor. You with me? Hey, it, God didn't call us with a phone call. He sent us a text message. If you want to hear God's voice, you have more work. Do you realize Abraham would trade your copy of Scripture for his experience on the mountaintop? You got more revelation of the Word of God than Abraham, Moses, Balaam, and all of them put together. You've got it right here. So if you want to hear God speak, he speaks to us through his word. Are you, gonna, are you daily going to consume God's word? Are you going to be in the word? Because I'll tell you, it's simple. If you want to be in God's word, and the new year is a great time. Let's talk about this. If you want to get consistent in any habit, but if you want to get consistent in reading God's word, pick a plan, pick a place, pick a time, pick a group. Got it? Pick a plan, place, time, group. Plan, place, time, group. That, and that's not just true for Bible reading. That is true for every habit you want to set into motion in your life. You've got a plan. Let me, uh, so I want to get healthier, right? And I want to exercise. So I want to run. We don't just naturally just sort of, oh, I think I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to run. There's a, well, I mean, it depends on what's chasing you. Everybody's a runner when there's bears. But like, well, yeah. You've got, to, you've got to work at it. You've got to plan. So what do they tell runners to do? If you want to get in the habit, lay out your running gear the night before. Have everything set up already. Pick a plan. Where are we going to run? How far are we going to run? Pick a place. Where are we going to meet? Pick a time. And pick a group. Running's no fun. Alone, it's fun when you do it in a group, right? It's the same thing with Bible reading. What is your Bible reading plan? If you, don't, if you can't tell me just like that, here's how I daily take in God's word. Here's my plan. If you don't have a plan, uh, uh, if you, well, like they say, if you fail to plan, you have planned to fail. It's not, I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Not consistently. 
What's your plan? And listen, there's all sorts of plans. And don't make your plan be, don't, please don't let the plan be, whatever the Lord wants to speak to me today, blow the pages open, Lord. You're going to end up in the weeds of Leviticus and some crazy stuff is going to happen in your life. If you think, okay, Lord, I've got to sprinkle the blood of a, I think that's illegal in the city limit. Like you can't, you understand? So, so the, there has to be a plan. Now, if you if you got the Bible app, they'll, they'll send you a story every day. Consistency is the key. Don't tell me. Don't, consistency at this point is so much better than perfection. And that's why I, I like to call it a consistent Bible reading plan, not a daily Bible reading plan. Because some people, if they hear daily, they miss one day and they just give up. That's ridiculous. God allows U-turns. If you get a flat tire, you don't just, well, let me puncture the other three. Right? Might as well. No, come back the next day. That's why consistency is so much, this consistency is what we're after, not perfection when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Because if you tell yourself, unless I read an hour of God's word every day, I'm a total failure. Well, you can try that, and I'll tell you what, in a few days, you're going to bump up against Deuteronomy, and you're going to quit, and you're, you're going to feel like a total failure, and you're going to give up. No, no, no. Consistency. So what's your daily Bible reading plan? Some of you, that's it. This is the end of the sermon. Like for you, for, in terms of application, when you leave here, you're going on the Bible app or whatever, and okay, they're sending me the story. Others of you, you're going to just Google daily Bible reading plan. You know what you'll find? I tried this this week. I Googled daily Bible reading plan, 4.9 million results. But because I love you, I went through each one of those. And here's what I discovered. You know which one I recommend? Any of them. It's the Bible. Okay, they're all good. Just get one, pick one, and go. You have a plan. You should be able to tell me right now. If I ask you, what's your Bible reading plan? You should be able to tell me. And then, what, what's your, did I destroy the microphone just now? Oh, I think, sorry. Put it on my, put it on my tab. The uh, plan, uh, pick a place. Where? And your weekday, your weekday Bible reading plan may be different than your weekend. That's okay. You'll have to. But where? Where's your place to meet with God? Do you have a quiet place where you can read or, or you know, uh, uh, here in this place in the office? Or, or if you're at home and you're, you know, you're virtual learning and there's kids everywhere, this closet, this closet, you know, wherever. Uh, pick a time. You do it in the morning, do it in the evening, it doesn't matter. Pick a time. Consistency. And then pick a group. You, you heard BJ's announcement. Our heart, the reason we're changing this worship schedule back, and, we, you know, I know change has been a constant thing, and I appreciate everybody's flexibility. It's Sunday school, y'all. That's the means, getting in a Sunday school. If you're not right now plugged into a Sunday school, I'd move heaven and earth to get you in a Sunday school class because then you're getting around the Word of God, not just in this big setting. Oh, but you're getting around the Word of God with other people, on a weekly basis, there's no, there's no way around this, no substitute. So if I said, what's your plan? You should be able to tell me. What's your place? What's your time? And then who's your group? You should be able to tell me uh, those things, right? That's within your control. There's so much we cannot control, and we've got to move on. But getting God's word, that's something that is totally within your control. So control it. And if you say, well, I haven't really been good at that, start, start today. Start now. Let's start. Let's New Year. Okay. Jesus could assume that, right, that people are hearing the word of God. Now, now that we're all, okay, we've got a plan, we've got a place, we've got a group, we've got a Sunday school class, or at least a, a plan to begin exploring which Sunday school class, start touring classes and, and find one and, and plug in. Once we're hearing the word of God, now let's continue in this parable. And a parable just means a story. Jesus concludes his sermon with a story. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, I know many of you grew up in church, you heard this Sunday school lesson. There's a little psalm that goes along with it. And what everybody points out is the obvious contrast. Rock guy is wise. He built his house on the rock. Sand guy is foolish. He built his house on the sand. And so the, when the hurricane came, and that's what rain, floods, rising, and winds, that's what it is, a hurricane. When the hurricane came, one fell, one didn't. So there's an obvious contrast, and I grant that. Here's what strikes me about this passage. It's not how they're different. It's how they are so eerily similar. Notice the similarities. Sometimes even the exact same wording. And let it sink in just how eerily similar these two builders were. Can we put verse 24 and 26 on the screen together? Look at this. Look. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them be like a wise man who... Built his house. The first thing, I I can find four similarities at least. There's probably more. Here's the first. Both men had a dream. Both men built a house. The first one was wise and he built his house on the rock. But look, the second one, everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Make no mistake. The wise and the foolish both had a dream and both had a dream to build a house. You have a dream right now to build a house. Some of you literally, you're working on a home somewhere and you're building, you're going through all that construction and so this applies to you in a literal, but it's not just literal. Come on, when it talks about building a house, here's here's two men who want to build a life. You know, a house can represent a life. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey man, uh, I got to get my house in order. When they say get my house in order, they don't mean I need to to sweep up and and clean the tub. They mean I need to get my life right, get my character right. So, So here's a man who wants to build a life if you try, build a life, a career, a character, a legacy, one is building his life wisely on the rock, one building on the sand. The point I want you to see is both want to build a life. A house can mean more than that. A house can mean a family, a household. You know in the Bible when they talk about the house of David? Well, they're not talking about David's four walls and a roof, are they? They're talking about the family of David. Here's a guy who wants to build a family. Two men. Both want to build a family. And you know what they want of their life? And you know what they want of their marriage and their family? They want it to stand. They want it successful. I've never met a single person whose dream is to build a house that falls. I've done a lot of weddings. At no wedding have I ever met the bride and groom, and they casually said to me, you know know what our real dream is? (laughs) We hope that after a few years, our marriage implodes. Dad, we destroy a bunch of lives with us. Wish us luck, preacher. No one says that. No one says that. No, they want their marriage to be vi- filled with vitality and life. They, they want a family that is built to last and to stand. All I want you to see is the wise man and the foolish man both have that dream. The foolish man didn't set out. to House can mean a church. Didn't Jesus say, my father's house? You ever heard it called the household of faith? I've never met a minister who says, yeah, I want a, I want a, I want a dying ministry. I want a church that's bickering and fighting all the time and cares only about itself and doesn't do anything. No, 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 no. Everybody says the opposite. Everybody wants to be part of a vibrant church that's growing and is unified and is seeing God do great things. Well, both men had a dream to build that. You could even expand this to the nation. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans does. He thinks that the house here represents also 
the nation. You've heard it called the House of Parliament, House of Congress. Nobody wants to be a part of a nation that's going down the tubes. We want to be part of a nation that's doing great and excelling and, and, and growing. Well, that, wise and the foolish both had a dream, and that dream was to build a house, build a family, build a legacy, build a career. We're all building. Wise and foolish, that's not the difference. Here's another striking similarity. Here's the second one. And this one, oh man, th- th- you got to let this one sink in. Both men knew the scriptures. Let that sink in. These were both Bible scholars. It doesn't say the pagan did this, the heathen who had never heard about the Bible did this. And no, 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 no. Look, look, put the, put the uh, 24 and 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man build his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man build his house on the sand. Uh, they were both evangelicals. These, let this sink in. I, I would go so far as to say their doctrine wasn't just good. Their doctrine was like perfect. You know why I say that? Because their teacher was not just some preacher. It was Jesus himself. They just heard the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus himself. So their doctrine was perfect. The wise and the foolish were both perfect in their head knowledge of the scriptures. Let that sink in. The, <laughs> They had heard the word. They'd done all the, the, the fill in the blanks and the lessons. Years, um, I remember having my heart uh, broken over this very issue. It was, a, it, was a very, it was a revelation kind of moment for me. I remember where I was. I was in a diner in New York, and I had been invited to have a meeting. We were having breakfast with this uh, young, uh, young adult in our church, and she had asked to meet with me because she wanted um, advice about a career change, and she wanted to become a life coach. And I asked her questions, and um, I mean, she's very mature and, and, and you know, put together, and, 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 and so she says, yeah, I want to I help people, but not just spiritually in their walk with God. I want to help them in every area of their life. I want their career to flourish, and I want them to be healthier than they've ever been, and I want them to be more nutritious, and, I, and she goes on and on, and I want to, like, lead them into this. And I laughed, and I was like, well, I mean... It kind of sounds like, you don't have to be a life coach to do that. It, it sort of sounds like what you're describing is, you, is like making disciples. That's like discipleship. And she's like, no, 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 no. No, you don't understand. I want to like, I want to transform their life to the good and have them be like a more positive person, more optimistic, and have them more generous and loving than they've ever been. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I really think that sounds like making disciples, which is like the whole point of literally everything we do as a church is to go and make disciples. That's in the Great Commission. I'm, I'm, I can look it up, but I'm, I'm fairly certain. You're talking about making disciples. She's like, no, no, no. I want to I transform their life in such a way that it makes a difference in their daily life. And finally, I was like, what am I not seeing? This sounds like discipleship. And this is what she says to me. Totally serious. No, pastor. It's not discipleship. I don't want to just lead them through another workbook. I want their life to actually change. I was like, who is your pastor? I am. <laughs> that has failed you. That somehow makes you think discipleship. Where did we get this wrong? Did any of you grow up in classes where discipleship, well, you were like a sponge, and they would plunge you into one more workbook, and one more lesson, and one more, and at no point was ever anybody wrung out into the world. I was an adult before I joined a Bible study where they said, our first lesson is on evangelism. Go share the gospel with somebody. Our second lesson will not begin until you do that. Do not come back until you do that. When you do that, you may come back and we'll do lesson two. 
And everybody's like, this is insane. You're asking me to do something. It dawned on me, like, what? It's, we don't need more, to, to, to the people who say the biggest problem with Christians is they don't know enough scripture. I would push back. I would say our problem is we're not obeying what we know. Both of these guys knew the scripture. Look, they've been to all the classes. They've been to all the Bibles. They've gotten all that. And that's not wrong. We'll talk about that. You, if you don't have a Bible study plan, believe me, getting in God's, well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But they both knew the word of God. That, that, that should, uh, Make us think deeply. Here's another similarity, and I'm using my imagination a little, but I bet, I bet the houses themselves looked really similar. Rock guy and sand guy, like, I, when the sun is shining, if you walk through their neighborhood, would you, I mean, have you ever no, noticed the foundation, I, right? I mean, have you ever been invited over to someone's home, and you've never been there before, and they're taking you through, and they just built it, and they, oh, oh my, oh wow, oh. And you get back in the car, and you're driving home, your wife's like, what'd you think? Oh, honey, d- did you see their foundation? It was glorious. I said I was going to the bathroom. I, in fact, snuck into their crawl space and took photos for my Pinterest board. Of, no one does that, Right? No one ever said, like, when you're in somebody's home, it'd be hilarious. Like, you should try this sometime. Well, you know, you're looking around the home. Oh, this is awesome. This is great. At no point am I afraid for my life that it's going to collapse. Nobody thinks about that. Nobody, nobody cares about the foundation. The houses themselves look, you got to see this. If you can imagine, they both built a house, and they looked awesome when the sun was shining. You get the point? How many families do you know look awesome on the outside when the sun is shining. But those families on the inside would tell you, we're crumbling. We're falling apart. We got cracks, and it's not something paint and plaster can cover up. But we put another coat of paint on it. We put another post on social media. We put another fake smile on at church. But our hearts are breaking. I want you to see They both look the same from the outside. As long as the sunny days are here, you don't notice. And they went through, finally, they went through the same storm. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And this guy, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Okay, so technically, one beat on the house, the hurricane, the other beat against. Uh, The Greek words, if you care, prospipto is beat on, proskopto is beat against. Is there a difference? Well, I'll tell you this. If you took a crowbar and began, one of you beat on the hood of my car, the other beat against the hood of my car, no, I don't think there's a difference. (laughs) Destruction. The point is, they both go through the hurricane, and neither one can stop the hurricane. Neither one, one is not, one's like, now the wise man built his house on the rock, and his holy anointing prevented the hurricane from hitting him. It went around and hammered, you know, foolish guy. They both went through the same storm. Storms are trials, problems, unexpected news, diagnoses, unpleasant changes, 2020s. And everybody went through it, right? The wise and the foolish. So let's review. Wise people can have dreams, Foolish people can have dreams. Wise people can build a life. Foolish people can build a life. Wise people can get married and have a family. Foolish people can, build, can, can get married and have a family. Wise people can have a church. Foolish people can start a church. Wise people can start a, a, a nation and, and govern a nation. Foolish people can start and govern a, a nation. Wise people can hear the word of God. Foolish people can hear the word of God. Wise people can know the word of God. Foolish people can know the word of God. Wise people can look good on the outside. 
Foolish people can look so good on the outside. Wise people can face storms. Foolish people can face storms. What's the difference? We can do it in four words. I want to write these down. There's only one difference in this story. Application. It's really just, I guess, one word. Application. One guy heard the word. And you know what? Of all things, he did it. He took a shot. It doesn't say he did it perfect. Nowhere in this story does it say he built a perfect foundation. Look at how perfectly level. And oh, look at the concrete work. And he never messed up in any way. No, it may have been a terrible foundation, but it was built on the rock. He, he heard Jesus say in Matthew 5, 21, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And he took it to heart. And he tried. And he, and he, and he heard Jesus teach in Matthew 6 about the Lord's Prayer. So you know what he did? He said, you're supposed to pray this way? He started praying to his Father who was in heaven. And he, and he heard things like, 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 take seriously sin and don't commit adultery and, and, and don't even have lust in your heart and don't murder, don't even have, have anger. And he began to try. He, he heard uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. So he started to do that. He started to lay up treasures in heaven and not just a bunch of treasures on earth. He just tried being generous. He tried to stop judging others like it says in Matthew 7.1. And you know what Jesus says? That's like a wise man built his house on the rock. That's the only difference. Didn't say he did it perfect. Said he did it. The foolish man heard all this stuff. And apparently, it is spiritually dangerous to hear the word of God, feel the conviction, know what you're supposed to do, and not do it. Great was the fall of it. Here's where it gets complicated. I don't know you perfectly. You don't know me perfectly. And so it gets a little tricky. I'm making the point that to walk out of the doors of this church and to not have done what God called you to do is spiritually disaster for you. And here's the problem. I don't know what your issue is. What is that step of obedience God's calling you to? Hmm? Now listen, for some of you, it's obvious. You know it. You're squirming already because you know. For some of it, it's, for some of you, it's a phone call you need to make. There is a relationship in your life, and if you made that phone call, you could take a step toward reconciliation. And I'm saying today, before the sun goes down, will you make that phone call? Because otherwise, you are hearing the word, and you are not doing it. For others of you, it is a... Quite frankly, it is, a, it is a lie, and it's time to come clean, time to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth about something you've been lying about, and that's a step of obedience, and you are right now under conviction, and it, you know it, you know it, you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's convicting you about it, you need to go and tell that truth. Will you do it? For others, I, like I said, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. For some, it's the... the, the, the the need to be generous instead of selfish or to, to, to share this good word and to be bold and courageous. You get the point. I don't know. But I do know this. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the reason you're hesitant to do it is because it will cost you so much. That's why you haven't done it already. And to that, all I can say is you're exactly right. It's costly. So, but a couple things here, a couple things. One is, but remember, every day you're getting the word of God in you, okay, right? You got your plan, you got your place. Why? Why do I want you to get in the word of God? Why is having the word of God inside of you so important? King David said it this way in Psalm 119. How does he finish this verse? I have hidden your word in my heart so that what? Do you remember? 
Why? What is the purpose of hiding God's word in your heart? What is the, why would I want you to read your Bible every day? Why would I care about that so much? Why? King David said it this way in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart for one reason. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might dominate all my friends in Bible jeopardy. It's the only reason. Is that why? I have hidden your word in my heart so that I can impress everyone in Sunday school. I have hidden your word in my heart so that my social media scripture slides are on point. One reason. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I want to live right. I don't just want to know all the right stuff. I, want my, I love you, God, and I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to sin against you. That's the only reason. I want my life to change. James says, if you hear the word and don't do it, you know better than the demons who know the word and they don't do it. What good is it to know the word and not to do it? The point of all this stuff is to submit and apply. The, we always think of wisdom and knowledge. Somehow, somehow the difference between wise and foolish, we often relegate to headspace, right? So like the difference between wise and foolish is primarily about head knowledge. This passage would indicate that's not the case at all. The difference between wise and foolish is not about what you know. You can know a lot of things. It, knowledge is knowing that technically a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in the fruit salad. There's a different, Tony Evans says it this way. Dr. Tony Evans says, wisdom is your ability to apply spiritual truth to life's realities. Can you take this stuff you know and apply it? I went to, uh, I think it explains why there's power in the word of God, but why our lives sometimes lack that power. I was invited to preach somewhere, I don't remember where, and they put me up in this uh, fancy hotel that was brand new, newly built. First thing I did was check out the foundation. <laughs> and uh, they had all these energy-saving features and all these really modern features. And they had this one that it, it kind of messed with me at first because I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, but basically, the, the room was set up to detect motion. And if you were, when, when it knew that the guest was in the room, all the lights would work and come on and the air conditioning was, you know, and all the heater and everything would work perfectly. Very comfortable. It was wonderful. When the, when the, when the room knew that you had left and there was no motion, um, every, everything would, would not work. I guess, okay, that's good. It saves energy. Here's the thing that struck me. The power was always there. It's not like somebody came in and clipped the electrical work. I mean, the, the, the whole thing was powered the whole time. But it seems it was motion activated. You know, the word of God has power. But I wonder if maybe in the life of a Christian, it's like motion activated. And if until we step out in faith and obey God's word, we're sitting in the dark. Wondering why God's word has no power in our life. We're singing just one word and all this authority. If we have no intention to actually obey, to make that call, to tell that truth, to get that right, to square that away, to do those honest things, to, to follow the Sermon on the Mount, the Word of God has no power until we step forth in faith. The Word of God, I should say, has power, but we're not allowing His power in our life. Motion activated. Why wouldn't we do that? Why? Let's wrap this up. Why? I know why. Oh, I know why. I know why this is so hard. And the reason is, there are no immediate rewards or consequences for building your house on the rock, for being obedient. In fact, if we use the analogy of rock versus sand, to build on rock is slow. 
I mean, when you tell the contractor you want a solid rock foundation, you got to dig deep. And the contractor, oh, boy, it's going to be six months before we get together for a plan. What's that do? Well, that's the plan where we think about planning beginning the work three years from now. Why? Because you, you, want, you want to dig deep, right? Sand guy, the contractor shows up and says, sand guy says, you're in luck. We can start today. It's easy. Uh, 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 you talk about cost? Oh, man, the dollar signs just keep going. Uh, the meter's running. When you talk about digging deep on that foundation, very, very expensive, costly. It's going to cost you something to be obedient today. Oh, but sand, you want to build on the sand? It doesn't cost you a thing. And, and effort, energy, it's work. You got to dig deep, sweat. It doesn't cost you a thing to build on the sand. Everybody see where I'm going with this? Whether it's, it's beginning a daily Bible reading plan, you're not going to see immediate consequences. It's going to look like everybody who's not doing it is doing just fine. And they are, as long as it's sunny. See? Join in a Sunday school class. For those of you who are not in a Sunday school class, if you, if you do this, if you join a Sunday school class, don't be surprised if it's not immediate rewards. The heavens are not going to open and an angel come down. I mean, maybe your class. I haven't, you know, I haven't been there. But the angels, I don't think, come down. Oh, you know, and it's like glorious. And now all the fellowship and the best friends I've ever wanted. That, no, it's going to take work. And you're not going to feel that way. And you're going to have to keep coming back. And it's going to feel awkward. And what about my kids? And you're going to have to get over all of that. Why? Because that's how relationships work. It's going to take work, and it's going to take time, and I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you the opposite. It's going to be very difficult. I'm also telling you it's going to be worth it. And to the young people, you go back to school, and you start standing up for Jesus Christ, the rewards aren't going to be there. If anything, you'll get persecuted. Why? Because it's costly to build on the rock. H.B. Charles, who's a phenomenal preacher, H.B. Charles Jr., his father was also a great preacher, and sometimes he'll he'll quote his father, H.B. Charles Junior said his, his father used to tell the parable this way. One day, two men struck up a conversation while they were standing in line at City Hall to get building permits. Oh, what do you know? You're building a house? Me too. As they talked, they discovered they were going to be neighbors. They began their building projects approximately at the same time. One man immediately laid his foundation and took off. The other man took a shovel and began digging. Sometime later, the first man began erecting the frame of his house. Y'all, framework already going up. The other man just kept digging. The first man put on his walls. The other man just kept digging. The, the first man began to put on his roof. The other man just kept digging. Beautiful landscaping and all the wonderful finished carpentry work. The other man, you guessed it, just kept digging. Well, every day, the wife of the man with the shovel would make her daily trip to bring him some lunch. But she informed him that today would be her last. Why? Why? Because this is embarrassing. That family across the street has this perfectly nice home, and tonight they're having a housewarming party. And you, what do you have to show for it? You are still in this hole digging. And as she was leaving... Her husband hit something hard with his shovel and said, baby, wait. I think I just found what I was looking for. I think about these buildings. You know, for years, rock guy's looking out his window at sand guy. He spent so much money and time on his foundation, he hadn't had much time left for the embellishments. Look, sand guy's got a bigger garage. You believe that? Sand guy's got a three-chariot garage. 
sand guy's got, sand guy takes nice vacations every year, ironically to the beach. It's a, there will be a lot of irony to that soon. Sand guy, it, 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 you got to understand, in every way, sand guy's house looks every bit as good as rock guy's house in every season, and there just doesn't seem to be much of a point. I mean, here you are trying to follow the Sermon on the Mount, and you're like a doormat, and your co-workers at work are walking all over you. Here, you are, you are absolutely trying to love your enemies, which Jesus said, doing the Sermon on the Mount, and it sure looks like sand guy has no troubles, and me, I've got all these troubles. I'm trying to do this stuff, and here these people aren't doing it. At some point, you just say, it's not worth it. I mean, if our houses are going to be the same anyway, if it doesn't matter, and it's true, the houses are the same. Until. Until what? Until the storm. And on that night, when the terrible storm came and the rains fell and the floods rose and the winds blew, the house across the street toppled over. And the man with the shovel never even woke up. He slept right through the storm. It's dangerous to hear the word and not apply it. To walk out of the doors of this church and know exactly what you need to do and not do it. Great was the fall of it. On the other hand, to tell that truth, to come clean, to give, to obey. Listen, whatever it costs. Satan wants to convince you, you know, it sure would be a lot easier just to ignore this whole message. And he's right. It would be easier until the storm. And you will not get the power of God in your life. Oh, but if you obey, if you take that step of faith, you will have all of heaven will unleash its power in your life. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So dig deep today. I, don't treat the word of God like the Queen of England. You know, the Queen of England gets all this respect. Queen of England's respected. No, oh, the Queen, and they give her all the pomp and all the circumstance. They give her all this respect. But in terms of actual ruling authority, she has exactly none. She has no ruling authority. All the respect in the world, no authority. That's the way a lot. It is a shame when I treat the Bible that way. I give it all the respect in the world. I just don't obey it. Look, the time to do this, of course, is now. The, the, the whole thing is talking about this impending storm. Some of you are in a storm right now. When I do premarital counseling with couples, when we get to the topic on communication, I always tell them, listen, the time to work on good communication skills are when things are going well, not when you're in the middle of a fight. Work on it now. When James Spann tells you, get in your safe place, it's too late to build a safe place, right? It's too late. While the tornado's coming, stuff's going everywhere. That's a terrible time to build. No, the time to build was before. That's all there is to it. And for some people, they say, well, maybe it's too late. Maybe you're talking about a daily Bible reading plan. You're talking about obeying the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe I should have done that 20 years ago, but now I'm in the storm. Is it too late? Well, is it too late? It may be. It may be too late. I have a test. I have devised a simple test to let you know whether it is too late to begin applying God's word as the foundation of your life. Because some of you have already built this huge life. You would have to undo the whole thing, strip it down to the foundation, and rebuild. Here's how you know if it's too late. It's a test. But I know tests make some of you anxious. So... Let's do this. Simple test to know whether or not it's too late. So, because I don't want any test anxiety, everybody do this. On the count of three, I want you to take a deep breath. One, two, three. 
Okay, if you were able to do that, congratulations, you just passed the test. And that tells me, because you were able to take a breath, that it is not, in fact, too late. Listen, the best time to start was absolutely 20 years ago. If you want to sit in the shade of a beautiful tree and be nourished by its fruit, the best time to plant that tree was 50 years ago. But if you didn't, the second best day to plant it is today. So if you were able to take a breath just now, it's not too late, and you can right now begin building your life on the application and obedience of what you know from God's word. So do it. Will you do it? And if you do it, you'll be wise. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. I, um, I want to encourage you that whatever it costs to undo what you have to undo, whatever you have to uh, lay that foundation in time, money, energy, effort, whatever, uh, it's worth it. But you know, I, I must also confess, I guess, that it occurs to me that here I've given you this whole encouragement to do it, um, but like you, let me say this carefully, you can't, you can't do what Jesus said do in the Sermon on the Mount if your Savior is still dead and in a grave. See, if he's dead and in a grave, then all he left you were moral teachings, there's a high bar. The Sermon on the Mount is a high ethical standard. Go for it. You'll never reach it. But if he's alive and on the loose and by the power of the Holy Spirit right now able to put in you the grace you need to obey, then in a way, I hope I'm not pushing this parable too far, but in a way, who was the wise man who built his house on the rock? Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount and then he says, do it. Who's ever done? I mean, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Have your, have your body part be cut off before you use it to a, a sin? Or, I mean, you know, if you've ever even had anger in your heart, you've committed murder. You've read this, right? Your, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and Pharisees. Hey, listen, I would love to say at the end, I'd love to say I'm the, I'm the wise man who built this house on the rock. I'd be lying to myself. Every time I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, I'm just building house on the sand. So, so, so come to think of it, by my way of figuring, the only human being in the history of the planet that ever was the wise man who built his house on that rock, the only one who actually heard the word of God and was fully obedient to it, was Jesus. And at the end of his life, he called his house the temple. He said, tear this temple down. At the end of his life, on Calvary's cross, his house came crumbling down on him. The only guy who ever actually built his house on the rock, the only guy who ever truly followed the Sermon on the Mount perfectly, had his house come crashing down on Calvary's cross. It all came crumbling down on him. And me, a sinner who's done nothing but build on sand my whole life, I'm safe in the storm because he switched houses with me. He switched house keys. He took my sandy death trap upon himself, knowing it was going to collapse so that I could be safe in any storm. What kind of love is that? Who does that? The one who preached with authority, the one who could lay down the Sermon on the Mount, and the one who invites you and me. Y'all not going to believe this. We get to live a life of obedience. That is the greatest 
privilege we could ever have. We get on the rock of the obedience of Jesus Christ, on the rock, on the foundation of what Jesus did for me, I can now follow him as Lord, as King, as Master, as Boss. And, and in that way, be wise. Who would not want to do that this year? All right, let's pray. God, grant to every blood-bought believer in this place that can hear me and everybody online who is a Christian, a born-again child of God. And I know there's so many in this room. So God, grant to us the grace to not only hear your word, but to do it. Whatever that step of obedience is, Lord, grant that we would be swift to do the word of God today. Knowing that you have loved us, you have given yourself for us, you have, as it were, traded houses with us. And God, if there's anyone who hears this, either live or one day recorded, who is not yet a believer, I'm praying, God, that today would be that day, that you would not allow them any rest until they put down their rejection, they put down that rebellion, and they receive you as Lord and Savior. Don't, don't, don't even let them sleep until they take that posture of repentance and faith and putting their, place in putting their faith and trust in you. Grant that, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.